You are listening to the Buzz with Bernie, an economic development podcast with your host, Bernie Maybank, the man, the myth, the legend. Um, you know, you are involved knee deep in it. Uh, but for folks who are just joining us, the manufacturing industry, as we know, in South Carolina has been a constant driving force for, for years. Do you kind of remember firsthand when it started taking off or does it way predate Bernie Maybank? That, that way predates me, but it used to be textiles, of course. Yes. And, then it, and then it morphed into really started with tires. Michelin probably led the charge. And then, of course, BMW was a was a huge thing. Yes. And one of our prior podcasts, we had Matt Martin from the Federal Reserve on episode 33. And he noted South Carolina had fared particularly well during the pandemic because we have such a heavily manufacturing base in South Carolina. That's and right. done very well. Check that episode out and if you haven't already listened to it. South Carolina's manufacturing economic impact is estimated to total between $194 billion and $206 billion annually. And that's 30% of the state's jobs. That's according to a study recently released by the South Carolina Future Makers and the South Carolina Manufacturers Alliance. And our next guest prepared the study. Dr. Joseph Von Nessen is a research economist with the Darla Moore School of Business at the University of South Carolina. It's an honor to have you here in person. Yes, it's great to be I in, know. in person. We, yeah, this we is... love this. You know, it's been sparse, but you know, I guess a good sign yes. that we are able to do this. We're so, moving in the right direction. Correct. Well, it is a pleasure to have you here. And you know, you you have some really remarkable uh, items that you've explored in this new study. Um, and one of the items that caught my eye was 38% of South Carolina's general fund revenue comes from the manufacturing industry. It, it, that seems like a hefty chunk. Yes, yes, it, it is. And it, it really reflects the fact that manufacturing permeates so much of South Carolina's economy. And you mentioned 30% of the employment base. Yes. And much of the, the tax base and the general fund revenue comes from income taxes. And because manufacturing supports 30% directly or indirectly of the state's employment base and manufacturing jobs pay significantly higher than the average wage in South Carolina, it therefore dis disproportionately affects the, the tax revenue. But that's just one example of the widespread economic footprint that manufacturing has that the study has revealed. And and can you go deeper into the study? So we uh, thrown out just a couple of stats, but what were some of the aha moments for you in your research? Well, there are a couple of different elements of the study. The first is to look backwards over the last decade, just to see how, how South Carolina has grown and how manufacturing has contributed to that growth. So the, the previous economic expansion right before COVID, which lasted for about 11 years from 2009 to 2020 and is still the longest economic expansion on record, of course. If we look at that period, we find that manufacturing grew at about three times the rate of South Carolina as a whole and brought up the average rate of, of growth in South Carolina across multiple metrics, particularly when we look at those employment figures. And not only do we see that in South Carolina, but if we look more broadly across the Southeast, South Carolina saw more gains in manufacturing than any other Southeastern state. And so you put those two together and you combine it with this wage premium of 33%, so the average manufacturing job about $61,000 a year compared to about 45,000 for the state overall, we see widespread prosperity and the opportunity for more widespread prosperity for South Carolinians because it gives them opportunities for, for success. That's looking backwards. Yes. And then if we look at what's happening now, and you mentioned the roughly $200 billion impact uh, uh, for South Carolina as a whole, uh, we can we look at that and how it, it, it spans the entire state and we see especially in the rural areas where where manufacturing has really had a disproportionate contribution 
to these local areas. And again, permeates all of South Carolina. So all of that seems good news. Now, and I may not be saying this correctly, so please uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Columbia though, um, as a city fared lower, correct? Cor as far as that growth? Correct. So the, the manufacturing hotspots in, in South Carolina, largely in the upstate, Greenville, Spartanburg, and as Bernie mentioned before, uh, that goes back to the, really the genesis of advanced manufacturing in, in South Carolina, which we, is the, the informal term we use for the automotive sector, the aerospace sector, and the tire sector, going back to the, the 70s with Michelin and the 90s with BMW. Um, so that's where we see most manufacturing jobs focused and in the supply chain that has anchored around Michelin and, and BMW. And then over the years, we've seen that expand more broadly across the state because that supply chain and those manufacturers draw in additional companies to South Carolina as we form this industry cluster because they see all of these suppliers that they can have access to. So we see the, the Volvos and the Mercedes come into South Carolina as a result uh, for the automotive sector. And then we look at tires and the aerospace sector as well as, as tangential clusters that also have a lot of overlap in, in the supply chain. And so that's where we see the spreading to Charleston, for example. We look at Florence and Darlington and other areas as well. And, and the, uh, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're an economist. Do you have a PhD in economics? Yes. So I have a PhD in economics from, from USC. I'm originally from South Carolina. And my work is largely, I like to, to use the term, so what economics. And I always say that half jokingly, but really to make a serious point that our work is all about looking at economic data and asking the question, so what? How do these data apply? How do these help businesses and other organizations in the state of South Carolina make good strategic decisions? And so our work in, in economics is really on the applied side, trying to answer those questions and provide strategic guidance for different elements of South Carolina business and, and industry. So you teach at the university as well? Yes. Okay. Most of my work is is on applied research, but uh, I am involved in the classroom somewhat as well. Okay. Well, and when you talk about education, that's going to be a big factor as South Carolina moves Absolutely. forward, right? So we have a lot of really good news, but it seems like everybody that we talk to on this show um, filling the pipeline, workforce development is going to be key in holding and retaining the talent that we have in South Carolina. Can you touch on that, what you found and how we use that information to try to fill the pipeline fast enough? Absolutely. So that was the other element of the study. In addition to doing a comprehensive assessment of manufacturing, which is sometimes underreported in the state by as much as 20% because manufacturing occupations uh, permeate Industry, or, uh, permeate companies that aren't necessarily in manufacturing. So construction would be one example of that. Um, so we wanted to, to get that comprehensive assessment. But secondly, we wanted to look at the workforce profile and to assess how that's gonna be changing in the next decade. And I think one of the things that we're seeing in South Carolina and nationally across the board, not just in manufacturing, is that workforce needs are probably going to be, if not number one, one of the top concerns for economic growth for the foreseeable future. Now, for this study, what we did was to look at 127 different manufacturing occupations uh, that, that exist in South Carolina. And we wanted to see first, which ones are projected to be in highest demand over the next decade. And then we wanted to say, okay, well, of that subset that's supposed to be in the highest demand, is there anything unique about them? Something different than all occupations, all 127 um, that we need to know about? 
And so when we do that exercise, we find that the answer is definitely yes. There's a subset that is in, in the highest demand and they are far more likely to require significant experience and education. And they're more likely to be in high tech fields, particularly more advanced engineering fields. So what that shows us is that there is a significant shift in manufacturing more towards high tech workers that are gonna require more training. And as we see the industry move forward, uh, it's important for South Carolina to be aware of that and to continue to build on the great programs that we already have, workforce programs, to address those needs so that manufacturing can, can continue to grow. And just to give you one quick example of that in terms of the numbers, we find that while about 10% of the current occupations in manufacturing are in high tech today, about 50% of the ones projected to be in the highest demand over the next decade will be in high tech. So there's a marked shift there. So, and, and I don't know if you've looked into this, but uh, I, I know from the technology sector on the East Coast that there are some competitors out there. What are you finding or what is the discussion about retaining those folks? How can we uh, make our state more attractive or how do we get those uh, highly educated folks to, to s settle here versus maybe going up the, the turnpike to a Raleigh, you know, with a lot of big technology companies settling in there? Well, a lot of that has to do with opportunity, number one. And number two is, is I think, a, a marketing campaign around branding. And some regions of the state have, have better brands than others. And I would say, for example, to give an example, Charleston is the obvious example of a region that has a very strong brand nationally. And so it's easier to recruit talent to, given, for a given level of opportunity, it's easier to recruit people to Charleston relative to, say, Columbia, which doesn't have a bad brand, mm -hmm. but it just doesn't have much of any brand outside of the region, outside of the state. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to, to focus on both elements there. And, and I think what we're seeing with manufacturing, we're seeing more, uh, more opportunity. We're, we are seeing very strong economic growth that's happening in the Southeast more generally. And, and the pandemic has revealed that we're going to see more growth in the Southeast in, in general. So South Carolina has the opportunity to continue to brand itself and particularly regions that haven't seen as much growth in the past decade. Columbia uh, being the seeing the least growth of the major three metropolitan regions. So behind Greenville and Charleston. Um, but those opportunities will be uh, will be available for us to to again to market the great competitive advantages that we do have. And so the um, Manufacturers Alliance retained you to do the study, and uh, and it is an extremely interesting study. Um, economic impact between 194 billion and 206 billion annually. 16% of the state's GDP is associated with manufacturing. Manufacturing supports directly or indirectly 30% of all jobs statewide. The wages at, at annual salary you found were 33% higher than the state's average wage that you found manufacturing creates more jobs than virtually any other sector and has a multiplier of 2.4 and 38% of the state's general fund comes from manufacturing. One aspect that's not in the general fund though is property taxes. And if you include utilities in SCNG and Dominion are manufacturers, uh, manufacturers pay the highest pay are the number one property tax payer in virtually every county in South Carolina. And I hadn't seen the statistics in a few years, but the former SCNG collectively was the highest property tax payer in the entire state. So they, they contribute a huge amount to uh, property taxes uh, at the local level. Um, 
uh, why is South Car is South Carolina a comparatively heavy manufacturing state compared to the rest of the country? We are. We rank near the top when we look across across states, and we are very competitive for for manufacturing. And I think for two primary reasons, which we've loosely touched on, but uh, their workforce workforces is one, and infrastructure is is the other. Um, so when we think about infrastructure, that's everything from the port of Charleston, which is uh, a clear. Uh, uh, asset that we have in South Carolina that, that pulls a lot of manufacturing uh, here. But in addition to that, our railway system, our highway system, and it basically allows manufacturers to locate in a state that is geographically well positioned to make goods here and ship them globally, internationally through the port, uh, as well as domestically across across the United States. So just that infrastructure provides a real, a real uh, competitive advantage. And then those workforce uh, uh, advantages as well, including the technical college system. We do a very good job and companies tell us specifically that they're in South Carolina in part because we do a good job of matching uh, workers to the, the needs of these companies. Speaking of labor, you know, you, you literally every single day there's an article, you, uh, employers just can't hire. And I know even at the manufacturer level, it pay far more and have much better benefits. That's an issue. What What is your prediction or, or why do you say it's so hard for people to hire nowadays? Well, part of the reason is that we are just going through this transition in terms of ramping the economy back up after the scale back last year. And, and I mentioned this term economic whiplash, which is really, I think, a, a, an apt description of where we are, that companies simply are not uh, uh, not used to these dramatic changes in demand, uh, and neither are individuals. So part of this is transition. Um, but there are also several specific reasons why we're seeing this. Uh, one factor is the extended, uh, the, the federal supplements for right. unemployment insurance, uh, which is making it for some workers uh, more attractive to, from a financial standpoint, to stay on unemployment than, than go back to work. Um, and that's especially true for workers who are making uh, either at or below about $16 an hour. That seems to be roughly the, the cutoff there. So that primarily impacts the, the service sector, um, but that's one element. Uh, another element is looking at the baby boomers who are moving into retirement, have been before COVID. Um, and in some cases we've seen that accelerate the trend among that population that they were looking to retire, so they just retired faster. Um, so that's a second element. And then the third element has to do with, uh, with childcare and with schooling. And it's just difficult for some, some people with respect to, to family life and childcare uh, to come back into to the labor force. So I think all of those are at play. I think that'll continue to be resolved as we move into the summer and, and in, in the fall. Um, but a lot of this is just part of the, the uh, natural movement back towards a, a, a full employment situation, which is basically where we were at as of January of 2020. Right. One, one of the things that we lose sight of is that right before the pandemic, uh, the economy was as in good a shape as it's been in probably two decades. Yeah, Tuscaloosa had the lowest unemployment rate in the entire country. Yes, and in its history, in, right. in all of South Carolina's history. So the, the private schools all opened, the pub, none of the public schools opened except on a short basis. Um, do you see the, the reopening of public schools, hopefully in the fall? Is that going to be a big boom to the economy then, to the I, workforce? Yes, I think so. That's going to provide uh, a, a move back to normalcy and provide uh, parents with those, those, those resources for uh, putting kids back in the classroom. They're not staying at home. That alleviates some of the supervisory duties of, of parents, allows them to get back to work. So yes, I think schools opening is going to be a, a major... Is the university going to be open for summer school in-person classes? It's transitioning back, but by the fall, all classes will be back in person and we'll be back to a... 
as as normal as 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 the right. new normal is. Yes. Right. yes. Moving to shortages. So the New York Times had a, a headline: shortages of everything and shortages of everything worldwide. Um, it obviously is impacted, but I wouldn't call it dramatic. Is that at some point going to have a dramatic impact on the economy? Well, so far we are seeing, it, when we look at shortages, that's largely due to the fact that we're seeing this, this sizable increase in demand. And again, getting back to this concept of economic whiplash and companies seeing such a, a fast increase that they just can't keep up. And so part of being able to uh, produce the amount of goods that, that are required for this, this increase in demand just comes from increasing their capital investments. And that takes time. Uh, so I think the supply constraints are likely to be with us for uh, the foreseeable future, meaning months as opposed to weeks. So probably through the second half of 2021. And as you mentioned, we see this every day. You go to you go to Lowe's or Home Depot, or you look to if, if you're trying to make a renovation on your house, it's just very very hard to to uh, uh, to find someone. And that's because everybody is is uh, is in demand right now, and everybody is busy. Um, so that's that's likely to continue, and. That will be sorted out, though, as we as we move forward. And we are also seeing at the same time a shift back to pre-pandemic norms of spending on the American consumer. So if you if you look at the American consumer spending on goods and spending on services, we've seen a dramatic increase in the last year in spending on goods and, of course, a downturn in services uh, simply because we haven't been going out, uh, right? Not traveling, uh, going out to eat and so forth. And now that's beginning to shift back. And so that's also going to that what we call the substitution effect, substituting towards services now and away from goods. So as people start doing that, uh, that's also going to tamp down demand slightly. Uh, and then that combined with the fact that that uh, businesses are looking to ramp up production will help equalize that as we as we get closer to 2022. We're running low on time, but I'd love your take before we let you go on reshoring. We've had a number of guests. Of course, in the beginning of the pandemic, there was a lot of talk about that. Um, more recently, you know, the realistic expectation of a business just picking up and moving seems to be, you know, too heady. That's a, that's a big investment. But with discussion of there may be other pandemics or there may be things in the future that are unforeseen, like we've been through the pandemic, um, and you talk about shortages and, and not being able to produce a lot of the things that were needed here in the country. What is the discussion in your circles around that? Um, we talk about it being slow to happen, but is there a, a desire to, to produce more in the United States so we aren't dependent and maybe, you know, we don't have as long of wait time in the future because it's, it's right here in our country? So it's 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 too early to tell if we're going to see any real movement there. I don't get the sense from the uh, advanced manufacturing sector that is set up in South Carolina that there's a significant movement in that direction because there are a lot of efficiencies uh, associated with just-in-time manufacturing and with the uh, the supply chain the the way it has been set up currently, and that would be a major disruption to significantly alter that. Um, so at at this point, we're not seeing. Or, or at least uh, I have not seen any major conversations surrounding a significant pivot there, um, but it is too early to tell. We'll, time will tell. We'll mm -hmm. see how, how these shortages play out going forward and whether this is a short-term transition, which it's likely to be, uh, or whether it has more long-term consequences. All right. Well, time flies when you're talking economics. Um, thank you so much for being here. 
Um, Dr. Joseph Von Nessen is a research economist with the Darla Moore School of Business over at the University of South Carolina. And hopefully you'll come back Anytime. and visit us down the road um, as we you know, continue the recovery here. Yes, thank you for having me. Thanks for your time. Nice to see you. And nice to see you all for The Buzz with Bernie. Check out some of our other episodes if you haven't already. And we hope to see you next time on The Buzz.